Welcome everybody to the Flagstaff Mountain Film Festival podcast. I'm your host Nick Irvin. Join me as we dig a bit deeper into the films and events of this year's 2020 festival. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for finding us here on the Flagstaff Mountain Film Festival podcast. This episode, I talk with Samuel Crosley and Mary Jeans about their film, Far Away. It follows two female off-width climbers searching for a first ascent over in China. And it is not only a good climbing film, but also you'll get a couple of laughs for sure. If you haven't seen this film already, you can follow the link in the show notes to watch it uh, before listening to the talk, but I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy this talk even if you haven't seen it. So much thanks to those two for taking the time to hop in and dig a little bit deeper into their film. Now, let's get right on to it. All right, so we're here with Samuel Crosley and special guest... Mary Jeans. Yeah. It is. Okay. I didn't know if you were going to be able to make it or not. Yes, yes. Sorry about that. Oh, sweet. Awesome. So we've got a uh, director and producer, and now we also have editor and... You probably wore a couple more hats as well. <laughs> You're looking at the entire crew right here. The entire crew. <laughs> yeah, we had a uh, we had a guy that was helping shoot photographs and, and camera, and his name is William Woodward, um, and he was there for production. But we kind of directed, edited, produced the whole thing, Mary and I. That's awesome. Cool. Well, I'm so glad I got both of you on here. That's that's gonna be that's gonna be great because there's so much that goes into all those jobs, um, and it's good to have the whole crew. <laughs> um, yeah. So the film that you guys, uh, as an audience, haha, little puppy dog there. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're joined also by part of the support crew, the little puppy dogs. So, um, the film that the Film Fest audience saw was called Far Away, a climbing film about two women who went all the way out to China to find some first ascents. And this is right up Flagstaff's alley. There's a lot of climbers here, a lot of climbing, and we um, definitely enjoy seeing a ton, <laughs> a ton of um, new ad adventurous climbing kind of things. So. Um, so the, the film Far Away follows these two women across over to China to get some first sense on some offwits. And I love it. I love the story. I love the, the women, the characters. Um, I love the, the fun that is had during this film. So I can't wait to, to get into it and dig into it with you guys. Starting with that opening scene. I really enjoy that when a film opens with a little bit of comedic drama. And this one started out with them running on one of those walking sidewalks, obviously getting ready to miss a flight or security check-in or something, and they just make it. And I, I love how you open that up. Was that always kind of a thought to open it that way? No, no, that was definitely not a thought. No, what happened was we were almost going to miss our connecting flight. When we landed in China, we landed about an hour later than expected. And we landed in, I forget which airport, but it was a large airport and we were having trouble figuring out if our bags were going to connect and stuff. And so it just became kind of a fiasco. Also, when you land in China, you have to go through all of the border patrol and all that. And so um, it just got very chaotic very quickly. And like I had my camera in my backpack and I wasn't feeling comfortable taking out my camera yet in the airport of China. Um, 
And so I just filmed that beginning scene on my iPhone um, and just made sure to capture the moment because it was stressful. <laughs> and that ended up, you know, opening the film. Well, that's awesome. That's cool. So that was that was iPhone footage, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta get the moment. Yeah, definitely didn't seem that way. And that was something that I wanted to talk about. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more later is the actual filming in China. Um, actually, yeah, we'll talk about it now since it came up. Uh, were there any restrictions that you found? You said you were a little bit worried about taking your camera out. Is that because of restrictions that might be going on there in the country? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I, I just feel like it's part of being respectful when you enter someone's country. Um, I don't want to like, like, I, I just don't know, you know, what the norm is. And so when I enter a country, I just take like a, a day or so to figure out exactly you know, what people are doing. Also, we were going to a remote mountain region to make a film. So I wasn't sure like what we'd use in terms of the travel sequence. Um, and so there's just like a couple different things going through my mind, um, trying to figure out what to shoot and what not to shoot and when to shoot it and how to be respectful when entering a new country. Okay, cool. Well, that's good to know. That's, uh, I think a, a really cool thing to think about, um, the respect part about it. So Mary, you were, you were along for the ride too, correct? I actually came on in the editing part of it. Sam asked me to be a part of it before he started filming, but brought me the footage right afterwards and sent it to me, and I dove into 40-plus hours of footage. Nice. Yeah, I was wondering that how much footage there was. And um, there were a lot of days of very similar, I think, in my opinion, watching it, there were many days of very similar footage that could have occurred while they were going after that first ascent. Um, you know, there's, I don't know how many days they spent on that specific off width, but it seemed to me like there could have been possibly, was there a time where you were getting that multiple hours of footage and you thought I've already got this shot plenty and put the camera away. Is that a question for me filming? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess we, <laughs> and then we'll talk about the editing for sure. Of the 40, you said 40 plus hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's hard to to know what and what not to shoot. Um, I had a constriction of of shooting about less than three hours per day, uh, just because of the cards that I had available to me, and I had to back everything up each night. Um, mm. And so, yeah, what ended up happening was the idea for the trip was to go to Liming and climb a bit in Liming on the established routes, and then Cat and Jenny were going to establish first ascents. Hopefully, that was the idea. And when we got there. Um, the film kind of documents how hard it was to just kind of navigate the cliff sides. It's, you know, very covered in jungle um, plants and it's hard to see where you're going and you don't want to touch the plants because they're very, some of them are very spiky. And so everything was just a little bit more difficult than we had expected. And it was difficult not only to get around, but also to find routes that hadn't been climbed. And so when we finally found a route that hadn't been climbed and it looked like we actually wanted to climb it, um, we did that. And what had ended up happening is that route was so difficult that it encompassed the entire trip um, until we got flooded out and then we couldn't finish the route. And so I, sorry, to answer your question, yeah, I was shooting on the same route almost every day, you know, after the first week. Um, and yeah, there's times where I feel like I'm getting the same shot, you know, it takes a while to hike there and then you get up there and you're just filming the ascent again. Um, but I think this movie does a good job of really documenting the scent, but not making the film about necessarily the send. Um, and that's kind of where I spent more of my time shooting, I think, was really the story around the send, which is not repetitious shooting. 
Um, shooting the send itself was repetitious, of course, but you can't miss the moment when they finally unlock the crux. So it's worth it. True. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just picturing myself out there trying to film and how it could become something where, you know, you've got that same section, that same section over again, you know, the, the racking up the, you know, uncoiling the rope and all that. So after day after day, I feel like I'd, I'd want to just set it down and be like, I've got this shot already. Like 80 times are going to do the same thing, but you can't do that. Right. You got to just keep rolling. Definitely. I mean, like Mary came up with this really good idea. At one point, Kat is climbing. Why don't you Why don't you explain this? The scene where Kat's climbing and she starts making all the noises. Oh yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> like she doesn't even move. <laughs> no, we actually just rewatched this like an hour ago, and um, yeah, there's a whole point in the film where she is climbing this section and she doesn't move more than a foot, and she's just having like possibly just flipping her shit to be honest and cursing <laughs> yeah, up yeah. a storm and i think there was like probably 20 different cuts in there showing all the different ways she could find to curse <laughs> it's amazing how many different ways she can find <laughs> yeah well made some weird noises in there too yeah yeah. Like really so, guttural, animalistic <laughs> noises. So. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those instances where I was just sitting there shooting the same shot for, you know, who ha who knows how long, but then Mary's able to take that footage and make it into, like, one of the funnier scenes in the in the film. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was hilarious. And anyone who's ever been in that situation, and a lot of people listening to this probably are because uh, we're rock climbers and we know those little weird not necessarily little, little big weird noises that we make when we're only getting up like an inch or two. And absolutely great job on the editing part of that, of of cutting, like you said, every different way she could think of to, I think, use the word mom or mommy or come on mama. <laughs> like <laughs> she said that so many times. And then, yeah, the noises, the brrr, and like all these crazy noises. And I feel like with audio, um, and to give you kudos, Mary, on this one, the audio of that, um, she's probably just going through these so fast and to find those little cuts to make it seem smooth um, and stuff on the ears was was awesome. Um, I know how hard that can, that can be, so good job on that. Thanks. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Was there, I mean, was there more? Was that all of it or was there like streams of that? noise making she had other ones on different days but that was definitely <laughs> her her largest outburst <laughs> yeah she um it's interesting because cat's you know pretty withheld um and then when she starts climbing another side of her comes through right and so like i was kind of capturing that beforehand and i think that instance that you know we cut the scene that's when she did it the most where you know for her, she had tried the route many days before and she was like at this crux and she was just so tired. And so it, it all just came out in that scene. Um, and so there's a lot of, lot of footage of her saying that um, sort of thing on previous days, but that was definitely the best, that, that, that set of just exhaustion <laughs> in sound form. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the floodgates finally just opened. <laughs> Let it go. So... What resources did you find before heading over there or maybe while you were over there as far as, because you mentioned that it was a lot of the beginning was trying to find climbs that hadn't been done. So I'm assuming there, it was kind of hard to find research or knowledge or guidebooks on the area beforehand. Um, did you find yourself with guides? I think I did see a scene where there was one guidebook, but it seemed like there was a lot of searching and finding of these anchors. Maybe those are not documented. 
Yeah, there's a really good guidebook for Liming, and the man who wrote the guidebook stays in Liming, and so we were able to meet him um, and all the other climbers that have put up first ascents in that area. And so I was very much along the ride. Um, Jenny and Kat were the the, um, the leaders of the trip in terms of what they wanted to climb and what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go. And so I was just documenting how they were figuring it out. And so when we got there, you know, people were very kind and welcoming and saying like, oh, like you guys are new here. You've never been here. This is where most new people go to get a feeling of the rock quality and like, you know, figure out where, how the gear is and all this stuff. And then like some of these routes are like, classics and so the community really you know rallied together while we were there and pretty much everyone eats at you know one or two restaurants <laughs> and so each night after your day of climbing everyone be would be sitting around a table talking about the entire day um, and that happened from day one and so it was pretty interesting we had the guidebook um, from beforehand we kind of looked at where we wanted to go but from for the most part everything was kind of by the by the seat of our pants as we were there that's pretty much it. Um, in terms of other research, I think maybe, like I can't speak to it because I didn't have to do it. Well, Jim <laughs> and Kat both mentioned uh, that they searched for the guidebook beforehand. They couldn't buy it online and they couldn't find the owner initially. And they actually tried to email the guy who made the guidebook. And he was apparently on some sort of climbing trip where he couldn't respond for like months. So they mm. couldn't actually get a, a guidebook until they were out there. So it was kind okay. of they were blindly going into this trip. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, Mountain Project had a little bit of information, but, yeah, they, but not much. they couldn't get the guidebook. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like there's, I mean, that added to the film. There was a bunch of searching at first. And when there's one scene that you guys put in there where they look up and they're like, a beautiful splitter above this chassis stuff and it looked like there's no way anyone had gone up that i think she actually kind of like kind of aided her way up there jenny did and they got up there and she's like oh there's a couple bolts and that blew my mind i was like how do is there like a walk around that we didn't see like or are people just doing that to get up to that climb so there's a bunch of searching and finding of these bolts that was a little unexpected yeah, I mean, what she ended up soloing uh, turned out to be an approach pitch, which I'm sure when they were, the first ascensionist was doing that route, those bolts probably had a fixed line. So they just quickly went up that corner with protection and then they you know, went up to their route. But from the base where we were, it doesn't look like anyone has been there. It's a very dirty corner. And so, yeah, yeah. we were surprised as well. But we include that in the film because it was kind of like, you know, this big kind of exciting thing that was developing and then taken away from us. Yeah. Yeah. When all that dirt came down, that was a great, there was, I don't know, pounds upon pounds of dirt in one scene, just as kind of like dirt lanch that <laughs> came down. And that was where I thought there's no way anyone's been on this route. This is going to be one of their first ascents. And then lo and behold, <laughs> a couple bolts. Yeah. It's been ticked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's got to be a little bit frustrating for them or maybe a lot frustrating for them for the first long bit of this trip to not find anything and there are a couple other frustrating points in the film uh, frustrating for them when they're getting to this climb and having a really hard time with it and i remember one scene where they're both at the base of the climb after coming down after you know getting thrown off of it and they're definitely there's frustration on their faces and they're not saying anything, but you can feel it. And I wanted to ask you as like a cinematographer and a filmmaker, walk us through being in that situation. What's going through your mind as you're filming something that maybe people aren't super comfortable with you filming. 
It's a great question. Um, and I still struggle with stuff like that today because as a documentary filmmaker, you, you know, what you're doing is you're inserting yourself into people's lives and you're recording it. And what happens is you have to develop a trust and a relationship with your subjects. And I mean, I don't like calling them subjects, but that's like what you do as a documentary filmmaker. It's more like Cat and um, Jenny, we all pretty much just became friends through that trip and, and Will as well. Um, and we all supported each other and we were communicating with each other. And so like in that moment, we all kind of know what each other are thinking. And they've gotten to the point where they trust me as a filmmaker where I'm, I'm gathering footage. It's, it's, it's understood that not everything I shoot is going to be used. It's just like I'm there documenting the highs and the lows. And, you know, there are points where sometimes maybe I cross a line and then, you know, Jenny or Kat would say like, hey, like that made me uncomfortable. If you could not film stuff like that, then, you know, we can just like move forward. And I was like, yeah, sure. That makes sense. Um, so there was like one instance where I was just, I was just filming and I asked a question and it wasn't a necessarily a pointed question, but, um, it was just, um, I guess I just made them feel like put on the spot and they were very uncomfortable and actually started to cry. And, you know, I put the camera away immediately and I was just like, like, how can I help? Like, what, what have I done? It was clear to her that I wasn't meaning to try to make her cry. It was just all of a sudden, you know, getting to China, trying to find enough first ascent, having it be documented. And like, it's all very stressful and it just all accumulated into that moment. And so that was one of those moments where like, it, it, was, it was testing me as a, as a filmmaker and a, and a friend. In the moment that you're talking about, um, it's clearly not as intense, like it's sad. They're kind of frustrated that they're not able to unlock this crux. It's hard. They're, they have to bring so much heavy gear on an overhanging climb where the crux is down low. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that was happening. And so in that moment, they were fine with me documenting the sadness because um, that's real. You know, that's emotion. And they trusted that I was going to make a film that they'd be proud of. That's that's great. That's Yeah, that trust being built. And then I would imagine even in that moment where you did stop filming and, you know, had to be there with them and for them, that that made it maybe even easier as you went on, that built more trust, knowing that you're going to put it away and you're there for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're all there to have fun and just document a unique experience. And if it becomes too stressful to document the experience, then that's not, you're no longer having fun. So fun comes yeah. first. <laughs> Fun does, and it does in this film too. And to speak on that, one of the more fun, um, well, I mean, there's not a whole lot of characters in there, but I'll tell you what, um, Jenny Fisher, her facial expressions in some of the little, I guess you call them like B shots or like little little smirky shots um, were hilarious. And I wanted to ask actually like, is that just her personality or was that just something you caught? And there was actually a specific one where I thought – I don't know. Maybe you were asking her a question, but you didn't put your asking of the question in there because she's just kind of like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mary, where did you grab that shot? Like at the end of the cat sound sequence where she yeah, like reacts. The shot that you're talking about is her reacting to cats, uh, cats outburst. And that's the fun part about movie magic is we did, like she had talked about this in another way, but I needed to have just a clean silent expression of her just reacting to it. And that was actually pulled from a different part of the 
interview, which is kind of one of those, like, well, is there, like, a moral reason to stick to, like, the right part of the script? So <laughs> we took a little bit of liberty. We knew that her reaction was truthful to how she felt, and so we used a part of um, her interview that wasn't necessarily from her reaction to Kat as the reaction. So little insight into that moment. Yeah, Jenny's very expressive naturally. Um, her face, when she makes an expression, it's just easy to read her face. Um, and so that comes through on the film. <laughs> and she knows that too. She even mentioned that to me. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, use it to your advantage. And the the little manipulation or whatever you call it, I think is perfect and, and great and plays into the, the theatrics of the fun. Like you said before, <laughs> you know, if it had been a manipulation of like an emotional moment, maybe you'd have some like moral wonderings, but um, there's another scene that you put together, uh, Mary, where cat is struggling and you keep cutting back to Jenny eating on a, on a, like a power bar or some kind of cliff bar or something and I mean, it's straight like perfect comedy. It's hilarious the her reactions to that. That actually was very honest. That was exactly what was happening at the time. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just gonna say, Cat was there up there all day. Yeah. Um, that was a long belay. I think it was like over four, maybe even five hours. And so, you know, you have to eat during that. <laughs> so yeah, we to grab the pro bar. Yeah, we cut out a lot of that actual part of the film. There was a whole huge plant that that they had to hack away with this little axe that they bought at the market, and that whole area got pulled away. But it was a dirty route. That leads us. Oh yeah, even a, a toilet brush, a toilet brush, and a little, <laughs> little axe to hack away. We did add a little shot. Um, it was a, a backed away shot of. I, I believe it was cat um, cutting, like hacking away part of the plant. And then you can see that there's still a lot more. <laughs> like there was a lot of plant to cut away in that shot. <laughs> yeah. Cleaning her out takes a long time, which I don't know if a lot of people know when they, you know, if they go outdoors to climb, you know, first ascents are usually extremely dirty. Both not only the rock is covered in lichen, but any crevices are usually filled with dirt and they have plants with roots in them. So it's, quite difficult to remove all that stuff. So Kat was like hacking on it all day. Yeah, she did a lot of work. <laughs> and a lot of mental and like endurance work was done by Ginny that day, five hours of belaying. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, good support. <laughs> I'd kinda, I don't know which one I'd rather be in, like something at least actively doing or, or sitting there belaying and eating. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, she was going, uh, Kat goes for the, uh, the on-site with all of her first descent. She likes to do ground up. Um, and that's what she did. And she put a bolt in at the end of the day at the top. So that's cool to know. So that whole set of scenes, she's going up and hacking away and toilet brushing away the dirt and lichen. And, and from that point till the point she gets to the bolt was on site. That was all like lead. Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. Ground, yeah. Um, I mean, she was taking on, on pieces to clean stuff, you know, like, okay, yeah. um, but she was fully making her way up. Like there was not a top rope. <laughs> That's actually, I bought a drone for this film because they have to start at the bottom and make their way to the top. And for me as a filmmaker, there's no way for me to shoot from above because there's nothing up there. I can't attach a rope to something. I can't climb it. And, you know, so I bought a drone specifically so I could get those, those shots of them on the route, you know, the maiden voyage. Actually, this, that was 
kind of makes me think about my one of my favorite parts of this film of making this film is that I love climbing and I love climbing films but I love focusing on something that's not necessarily the climb and you focused a lot on filming like everything that goes into putting up a first scent so what we covered in the film it wasn't necessarily them just like projecting hard there is that section of the film but it kind of shows you start to end how you go about finding and developing a route and I feel like that's something a lot of audiences don't know much about and haven't seen in a climbing film and I feel like it was a really interesting thing to be along for the ride and see the frustrations and the, the like dirty nitty-gritty process of it um even like the putting in of the bolt who knew a putting in one bolt could take all day <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have to drill by hand yeah i love that part about this film too exactly what you said it's not the you know the send it's the it's the sending. I don't know. That doesn't quite make sense, but um, yeah, it's everything that goes around there. And you, you guys put that together perfectly with, especially with that introduction into the search, that search. I think people think of first ascent as being super glamorous, but you guys kind of put it in our face that there are a lot of not glamorous places. And I'm sure that transitions, not just from some jungly looking area in China, it, it, it's pretty much a lot of places, um, at least if they're going to be unique enough to go out and film. Um, and then, so how did you guys hook up with those two as far as going and doing this film? I know it was a, an American Alpine grant, I think, that was given to them. Um, how did you guys get connected on to this? Yeah, it's um, kind of a long story. Um, so I guess I'll start where um, I had a friend who kind of offered me this, this project with the American Alpine Club. They were looking, the American Alpine Club was looking for a film. Um, well, actually, they were looking for a commercial uh, for their Live Your Dream grant. Um, and I loved the idea of the Live Your Dream grant. I knew about it before the, uh, the commercial pitch. Um, and I don't make commercials, and I didn't have any desire to make a commercial. Um, and so I reached out to the American Alpine Club through my friend that introduced me, and I said, hey, I know you're looking to make a commercial for the uh, Live Your Dream grant but I think we should make a film about a recipient of the Live Your Dream grant. Um, we'll just like, you know, the Live Your Dream grant allows people to go on these epic trips. So I felt as a filmmaker, the, the best commercial would just be to document exactly what the Live Your Dream grant provides, you know, and have it be a human story. And so we talked a little bit more about that and we um, waited for the grant to open and people applied and then it closed and we went through the list of people um, and I think they included in the grant that year, like, would you be willing to be filmed on your trip? Um, and so from that pool of people, um, we looked through like what we thought would be interesting trips. And we all kind of were astounded by Jenny and Kat's um, trip to China because they both had never been out of the country. Um, they climbed a little bit before, but they didn't live in um, the same like state. And so they were gonna like kind of develop their partnership further on this trip. Um, while also, you know, going to a completely remote village in another country and they're, they're off with climbers, which is extremely rare and unique. Um, and so it just seemed like there's so much interesting stuff happening with this idea that everyone was on board with it. And so the American Alpine Club granted, um, them the trip and then they also funded the film. Nice. You, you kind of got to, to peruse through different subjects. That's kind of awesome. 
Sorry, the uh, the dog bowl is making a lot of noise back there. <laughs> I'm gonna take a, a moment to uh, fix that, and then we're back. Okay, good. Good grab. Um, yeah. So it sounds like you had quite a few options there. You got to kind of flip through a book in a sense of different trips and different people and, and something stood out to you about them, about creating the story. So that's, that's really cool to know. That's a good little tidbit for this film. And then you said, um, thinking of editors, you, is that's when you pulled in, pulled in Mary for the, for the editing job. Yeah, it was an obvious decision. Um, in my mind, I, I had worked with Mary before at, um, a company that makes films for real rock. Um, and she was freelancing um, after that, and I was freelancing, and I wanted to work with her, and now I had a project that I needed help on, and so I reached out to her, and she was psyched, and then we made the film. What he's not saying is he took a huge leap of trust in me, because I had never edited a documentary before, so this was a totally new step for me, and it was really fun and wonderful, so I was very happy to be brought on. Nice. You crushed it. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you obviously did a great job. What were you doing before, before docu- this documentary? Um, a whole variety of things, but I was mainly working on set. I, when I was working for this company, Sender Films, I was their post-production supervisor. So a little bit of kind of editing style work, but not editing. Um, but generally I was doing on set like um, camera work and, uh, gripping. So like rigging on set, rigging lights and equipment on larger sets. Nice. So you, you, you know about all different parts of the filmmaking process then. Yeah. Haven't specialized yet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, this, this documentary may have pushed you a certain direction because yeah, those cuts and those scenes and getting that, you know, someone could have just held the camera on cat as she went through her process, but there is something nice about, you know, that ding, 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 hitting those different cuts on that. So (laughs) that was really cool. And Cinder films. I mean, that's a big, that's a big company for climbing. What a direction and a a growth that climbing films have had in the last, say, five, six, seven years. I remember sitting down in, you know, a basement watching Rampage and it was just a whole bunch of gridded footage of Sharma screaming and all this other stuff. And now we've got these films like yours, which have such great cinematic value to them. And, And the production is just, you know, gorgeous. It's delicious. It's, it's great. Shucks. Thank you. Um, I don't know. What what are your feelings on how climbing films have progressed and what, where would you see, where would you like to see them go if you had a choice? I like that question. Um, I love climbing. Um, and I started making climbing films, uh, eight years ago. That's when I started. Um, and I was initially drawn to just how crazy climbing is and how hard it is and the lifestyle that is necessary to, send hard things. Um, but pretty quickly I realized that there's just a lot of, um, kind of like deeper human emotion that goes into climbing. And a lot of climbing films that I've seen from back in the day are mostly kind of, uh, what they call, um, oh shoot, what is it called? Climbing porn. Yeah. Climbing porn. It's like send porn where it's like, all it is is people sending really hard and it gets you psyched to like go to the bouldering gym and, you know, try your V7 project or whatever you project. And what we're seeing, and I think what you're referencing is climbing films are no longer climbing porn. It's actually like climbing has become a vehicle for deeper human stories. You know, most people don't just want to watch someone climb something hard. They want to be taken on a story and they want to, you know, go on a trip where like 
at the beginning of the film, they don't know about something and then, and then they feel changed and transformed by the story. Um, and most filmmakers realize that's really where the heart of filmmaking is. And so that's what most people are trying to do. So I was trying to do that with this film. I didn't see any films out there that featured women and it, the film wasn't about the fact that they were women, you know? And so I just wanted to make a fun film with women and have it just be about them doing whatever they're doing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh man, that was perfect. <laughs> and that's right. That's exactly what I was, what I've been seeing and, and thinking about is that storytelling part of it and the human emotion part of it. And there's some damn good climbing in there as well, but <laughs> that, that story is what you're left with really, um, is those emotions and, and that little peek into, like you said, the lifestyle, that's a, it's a really interesting niche. And there's a couple other, you know, lifestyles that, that share the, the kind of niche, how we struggle to be out there as much as we can and, and sacrifice things. Um, but there is such a cool story to be told about what people give up and directions that they go in order to, to climb on a rock. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And, or, in, or in this case, climb on the spaces between the rocks, <laughs> the, the mm -hmm. off widths. Um, so the, you brought up something really interesting that I, I guess I really haven't thought too much about, and this is kind of cool maybe to go into is the cameras and how they become lighter and more portable. And then the technology has become more accessible where, like you said, one person sometimes can put together a whole film, or like you said, you guys are the whole crew for this really big film. <laughs> this looks like something that Hollywood or another production company would have, I don't know, you know, 10, 12 people out there doing. <laughs> well, so thanks again. Oh, man. Well, oh. I like having you around. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Nice. Um, I, uh, no, it's all, it's all completely serious. And, and I would love if you could talk about, you said you've been filming for close to 12 years, these climbing films. Um, and so you've seen that evolution of cameras and technology. So do you see, what do you see as being the next bigger thing for us to have those cameras out in these wild places? Is there something technology that you see coming or has just come online that is going to help that? Be nice if I didn't have to use a camera. <laughs> oh, sometimes oh, wow. I get so frustrated. I just like I hold up my fingers. And I'm like, I wish I could just do that, you know, <laughs> just like make the frame and then just like you know punch my fingers in and, and then I'm recording. No, I don't know. Um, I mean, cameras cameras are great. They allow you um, creative restriction and like um, because of what they can't do sometimes, and so that helps me as a filmmaker. Hmm. Um, I started off filmmaking with a DSLR. I was in high school and, you know, the 5D Mark II had just came out and that really transformed filmmaking for a lot of people, especially the indie audience. Um, it was an affordable camera that really just looked cinematic, had a full frame sensor. You could use real nice glass that um, gave you that background quality blur called bokeh. Anyways, um, cameras, you know, now shoot 4K, 60p. Um, and they record massive amounts of time onto cards and they have battery technology that's super lightweight. Um, and so what I do with my filmmaking right now is I try to keep it as simple as possible. So I have a Canon 1DX Mark II and I chose that camera because I'm not only a filmmaker, but I'm also a photographer. And so that camera kind of fits both, uh, of my, um, I'm blanking on the word, uh, 
Passions. Passions. Yeah. Nice. Disciplines, I guess. <laughs> both of my disciplines. Like it's like it's the only camera where I feel like I can do both. It can do both well. And it's super lightweight. Um, it's not as lightweight as, you know, an A7S made by Sony or, you know, an EOS R. But that's because the quality of the film is a little bit better. Um, and so I guess to answer your question, like where it's going next, um, it's a difficult question to answer. I think, you know, like I mentioned, I bought a drone because I needed a camera in the air to document uh, the first ascent. And, you know, I was able to do that because drones are inexpensive. I've got a Mavic 2 Pro and it has a Hasselblad lens on it and it's affordable. And it's also the size of a Nalgene water bottle. <laughs> so, it's just, you know, five years ago that didn't exist. And I don't know. I don't know exactly where things are going technically. I try to keep up with cameras and, and tech specs and whatnot because it is extremely important. But also I'm more interested in what the next story is and and where climbing is going and you know the social shows the social aspects of climbing are more interesting to me than where cameras are going in the future because you know if i need to upgrade my camera i eventually will but that doesn't really help me tell a story in a way you know yeah absolutely it always goes back to the storytelling for sure um yeah i was kind of thinking of the drone mostly um with where that is going to help people out um, I had a question about the drone specifically. There's the scene where Cat is making all those noises, <laughs> um, and that's a that's is that that's a drone shot. No. So after no. the first day, um, when Cat started up to the ground and made it to the top, she put a bolt in, mm, yeah, and okay. so I asked her to lower down a, a, a piece of the rope, and then I attached my static line um, onto the rope, <clears throat> um, and so that allowed me and also the photographer will to be up there and document top down from then on. And so everything you see in the film is, is actually me on a rope shooting. Um, you can kind of tell when it's a drone cause it kind of hovers and moves around. Whereas when I'm on the wall, it's very stable. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's where I use the drone. Drone gets a lot of good scenics, you know, the parallax with the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that, and, and that's what surprised me when you said that, you know, the, the shots from the top had to be a drone, but yeah, once you got that bolt in, then you can jug up and, and get those shots. Yeah. So I will yeah. say one thing, I guess, um, cameras are getting lighter and better and so are drones and just everything in general is just much better quality. But, um, I think one thing that sets apart films that I like versus films that I don't like as much is if the filmmaker is really kind of sitting in the moment with whoever they're filming and I mean that in like, you feel like you're there with them. Like in this film, I really, um, I got the idea from one of my filmmaking friends named Taylor Keating. And when I watched a film made by Taylor, like the movie Stumped, I really felt like I was there with the main character as she was going about what she was doing. And in other films, I didn't feel as connected in that way to the main character. Um, because the, sh the shooting was so beautiful and so thought out that there's not really organic kind of verite mo like moments. And so even if cameras are getting more beautiful and easier to shoot, I think it's still important just to like shoot the simple shot of standing next to someone and just documenting what they're doing and asking them questions and just having a conversation with them. Because that happens a lot in this film, you know. 
I ask them questions and then they answer. My voice isn't included in the film, but the answer is. And I don't see that a, a whole lot in um, in movies that I don't like as much. Yeah, you can you can have the best camera in the world and not not capture our attention and our hearts in a in a film, you know, without that storytelling and the stuff that you say you did. And then once all that's put to a shot and now we're over in the editing cave with Mary, um, what kind of direction did you, did you have uh, as far, did you two work together on kind of story-ish and, and, you know, shot sequence and stuff like that? Or was it just Mary take it and take off? A little bit of both. I, um, I gave you, I sent you a hard drive with all the footage and I sent you like an eight page document pretty much explaining what I thought the film would be from beginning to end and like themes and like things to look for when you're looking through the footage. But I mean, obviously you should answer this question. Yeah. It's um, when you get the footage, initially your first thing is to, to obviously have an idea of what the director wants and what the idea of the story is, but you don't actually know what the story is going to truly be until you dive in the footage and you watch everything. And then you have to make choices about like, where is this film going? Are we focusing on this thing as opposed to this thing? There's days of footage that weren't even included in it because there just was no place for it, even though it felt like like really heartfelt, wonderful moments at the time. There just wasn't a place in the story for it. And so when you're editing, you just dive in, watch everything, and then we came back together and kind of built an outline for how we wanted to do it. Because you can make a choice. Do you go chronologically? Do you tell the story in different, like, jumping parts? And we ultimately decide we want to tell the story chronologically, take people on the journey that they went on. Um, and then that kind of leads into, well, what did they experience? And what things do we want the audience to experience? Um, and so then we made choices based off that. But yeah. yeah, Mary did a lot of work at the beginning. I mean, I pretty much gave you the drives and that, yeah. that small document and then you came, you came back <laughs> with an assembly at it. Yeah, know? yeah. And I sat down for like a month and a half and just built and built and built. Yeah. And I think it was like 35 minutes when I initially like put together the first assembly at it. And then from there we were like, well, it's supposed to be a 15 minute film. <laughs> uh, let's see how short we can get it. And so we started chopping and killing our babies. So... Yeah, a lot of stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like killing your little babies after a while when you have to start cutting those scenes. And you, going through that experience, like you said, of, of sitting there and creating and watching that first bit, was there anything that pops into your head as you were creating those little moments that you put some little sequence together, played it back, and like it just made you smile? Like you were like, oh, that's perfect. Okay, the... When you see them driving up to far away for the first time, I love that sequence for some reason. It's just so goofy. The driver has it's a really intense. He honks like I think ten times on the, on the drive up. So like I had to include all the honking and just the wild things that happened all on this one drive. They had to push the car. There was a whole section where they were like right on the edge of a cliff and they saw a car down on the bottom and they were just like freaking out but it, we just didn't have time to show that yeah um there's just like it was such a fun like series of moments that i just thought was pretty hilarious and wonderful um luckily sam's pretty fantastic at finding those really funny and great moments so nice 
Nice. It does take a touch for sure. <laughs> Knowing when to shoot and, and what to shoot, but that's, that's awesome. That's cool. I remember that scene now. Yeah. I forgot about that. The ends with them, like pushing, pushing a car up a hill. Cause it, it didn't, I mean, maybe it was the way it was shot, but it, it didn't look like it was that steep of a, of a hill. Was it just that it didn't look that, that way or was it really, really steep? Uh, it was pretty steep. Also, it was like, it was a properly old minivan. Um, yeah, I, I, the one thing I remember from that scene is I was documenting it, of course, <laughs> and Will, the photographer, is like this big guy, and he's like right behind the van, and he's pushing, and he just looks over his shoulder, he's like, you're not going to help? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he ended up single-handedly pushing that thing up the mountain. <laughs> Thank you, Will. <laughs> Thank you, Will. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, you got hey, you got a document. You know that's important. So that's digging deeper into this film for our audience, and I love hearing all these little goofy stories and things that happen with this film, especially fun films like this. And so, thank you guys for putting this together. I know it's a lot of hard work. You just said, Mary, that it took you at least a month and a half just to sit down and get the first part of it done. It's I want everyone to know and respect how hard it is at least it's it's a work of passion for sure but how difficult and how many hours actually go into this 20 minute film yeah it's absolutely amazing um the effort that goes into it but the story that is eventually told is is worth gold for sure so thank you guys for putting this together and thanks for all your hard work on this yeah thanks for guiding the conversation this was fun i feel like i learned stuff too just like (laughs) (laughs) thanks for having us this was great Nice. Thank you guys. Is there anything, any projects on the horizon that you want to let us in on or let us know about? <laughs> uh, funny you ask. Right now we're making another film together. Um, as it's, well, it's tentatively titled Free As Can Be. And it documents a, a young up-and-coming climber named Jordan Cannon, who's 25. Um, and throughout the film, he gets sponsored by Arcteryx. Um, at the same time, his climbing partner becomes his father figure. <clears throat> and so the film is about just that. Mm. That sounds like a good story for sure. That's some human emotion right there. And we're neck deep in footage. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, you don't look like it. You don't look tired at all. So, (laughs) Um, all right. Well, thank you very much again. And thank you to everyone listening to this Flagstaff Mountain Film Fest podcast. And so, yeah. Look forward to the next film from you guys, definitely, and maybe we'll get it uh, at our film fest as well. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Tell the puppies good night as well. (laughs) (laughs) Will do. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And that is it. That is the (laughs) sign-off. All right, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening in and digging a bit deeper into the film with us. For more information, simply go to the show notes for a couple of links on the filmmakers and the films. If you enjoyed this, please take about 30 seconds to subscribe and rate the podcast so that we know y'all are digging it. I'm Nick Irvin, you're you, and this has been the 2020 Flagstaff Mountain Film Festival Podcast. Cheers and see you next episode.